How many of you have ever heard a sermon series in Haggai before? Okay, we got two, 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 okay. So Haggai is an Old Testament prophet that I hope is going to be really, really helpful for us in this series. And really, the theme of it is called uh, brokenness and beauty. And Haggai teaches us basically, basically this, that we are broken people, we live in a broken world, but through Christ, there is a pathway to beauty if we trust in his sacrifice on our behalf. So I just pray that over the next couple weeks, the Lord would help us to dig in and see the beautiful gospel message that we see through Haggai's prophecy. So can we just pause and ask for the Lord's help before we dive in this morning? Lord, we do need you. We cry out in dependence that you would meet with us today. Lord, I pray that there would be folks this morning who would just bring their brokenness to you. That they would realize that you can bear it, that you can handle it, and in fact, Lord, that you want it. I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and that you would give us the beauty that is available in Jesus. Lord, meet with us through your spirit, in power this morning. Hide me behind the cross of Jesus. Do what only you can do through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you look up on the screen there, you have an image there. Everybody see that? That is known as Kintus, uh, see, I, I butchered it. Kintsukuroi, Kintsukuroi. And it means golden repair. It's a Japanese art of taking broken pottery with lacquer mixed with gold or silver. And in Japanese culture, this art, as well as being a useful way to repair pottery, it actually has a deeper philosophical significance. The thought is that mended flaws actually become part of the object's design. So you see the gold, you see the precious metal, and some people believe that a pot that has been prepared in this way is actually more beautiful for being broken in the first place. This broken pot goes to become a beautiful pot, mended in a way that enhances, not detracts from its beauty. In a sense, this is the story of the book of Haggai. Uh, a generation before Haggai was written, the once proud nation of Israel had been decimated by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. So here Israel was at the pinnacle of statehood. It had power, it had influence, and it slowly began this decline. And eventually King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes in. He, God judged his people for their unfaithfulness and allowed the Babylonians not only to conquer the Israelites, but to destroy their capital city of Jerusalem and the temple, and then to take all the residents of Israel off into captivity. No doubt, if you were an Israelite at that time, it would have dealt a severe blow to your sense of civic pride and even your identity. Who are we? Our country has been destroyed. We've been carried off. We're now nothing more than slaves or captives in a foreign land. Our temple, our place of worship is now gone. Who are we? Years later, God's people would be allowed to return to home and rebuild their homeland. And initially, that's exactly what they did. They started working diligently to lay the temple foundation. But the beginnings of the new temple were but a shadow of its former glory, causing some of the older Israelites who had seen the old temple to actually weep when they saw it. It wasn't because they were happy that the temple was being rebuilt. They were sad because the temple was so sad. It's just a shadow of what it used to be. Again, this would have dealt a blow to the Israelites' hope. Sure, we're home, but who are we? We're nothing anymore. What is more, once the temple foundation was complete, opposition begins to arise. So they get the foundation done and opposition comes in at all sides and soon the work grinded to a halt. So they're home, the foundation's built, but they're not doing anything anymore. 
As time passed, rather than redoubling their efforts to finish the temple, the Jews abandoned the project altogether. It's as if these people had thrown up their hands and basically says, what's the use? God doesn't care about us anymore. In a very real and true sense, I think you could say about the nation of Israel at the time of Haggai's prophecy is that they were a broken people. Things just hadn't gone the way that they thought they should go. They'd been taken into captivity, they got back home, and now they were nothing. No power, no influence, just simply a sense of brokenness. Have you ever been there? No doubt all of us have, right? Maybe it's the late night phone call informing us of a tragedy that changes everything about our life. Maybe it's the consequence of a foolish decision that has finally come back home to roost. Maybe it's a situation from which there seems absolutely no escape. Perhaps it's, it's a sense of hopelessness that has cast a long shadow over your life and it just won't seem to lift. Whatever the case, if we're really honest, we have no doubt all felt there are times in our life that have been broken into pieces and we can't put it back together. We're a little like Humpty Dumpty, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. We were broken. We've all experienced that in our lives to some degree. But the story of Haggai is that yes, yes, God's people were broken. But God was not finished. The reality is this. God is not only able to bring beauty in spite of our brokenness, but because of our brokenness. Just like that mending of that pot doesn't just repair it. It actually beautifies it. It actually enhances it. Here's the message of Haggai for us. That yes, you've experienced brokenness. You failed. Your situations are tough. There are challenges that you are facing. There are injustices in the world. Yes, you are broken, but God's not done. And he can actually take that brokenness and make that brokenness a precious thing to you. The surgeon must cut before he can heal. The sculptor must chisel before he can create. The trainer must tear down in order to build up. And the Lord often does his finest works in our places of deepest need. Amen. So church, are you hurting? Have you failed? Are you facing a difficult situation? Do you feel like giving up? How many of you have not felt like giving up at some point this week? Nobody say amen. <laughs> right? We all have times of like, man, when is this situation going to change? Man, when is my heart going to grow? Man, when am I going to get out of this situation? And we want to just, I'm done. If that's you, then I believe that God has a word for you today through Haggai, and it is simply this. We must bring our brokenness to the Lord. The Lord wants your brokenness. Are you messed up? Good. Because you're the type of person that God wants to mend. He wants to do his golden repair on you and make you better than when you started. Make you more beautiful, not in spite of your brokenness, but because of your brokenness. You may say, Pastor Ryan, that sounds wonderful. But I don't have any idea what that looks like. What does it mean to bring my brokenness to the Lord? I, I mean, I'm a mess, frankly. And can that really be true? It sounds too good to be true. You just must be talking like a preacher right now. Now, I'll leave those questions for you to answer yourself, ultimately. That's between you and the Lord to answer. But what I do want to do, do is look carefully at what Haggai chapter 1 says and see that in it, God in his grace and his kindness lays out for us this beautiful pathway, this wonderful pathway from brokenness to beauty. 
So are you ready? Do you want to see what God's word says to broken people this morning? Because we're all broken. I need to hear this. I think you need to hear this. Let's just pray that God takes some of these words and meets us in our areas of deepest need. Our areas of deepest hurt. Our areas where we know that there is something fundamentally flawed about us. And we need God to get in there and change things. Haggai has a good word for you. So from brokenness to beautiful, number one, acknowledge the brokenness. Haggai's message begins with a rebuke about the people's indifference towards rebuilding. Remember, God had sent them back to the nation of Israel to rebuild the temple. That was their job. That is what God called them to do. And when they got back, they started building. But then things got tough. And they took a break. And it wasn't a week wasn't a month, wasn't a year, wasn't even two years. It wasn't even a decade. It was 15 years that the people simply sat idle and Haggai is not having any of it. Look at verse number two. The Lord of hosts says this. These people say, the time has not yet come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Notice a couple of things here. First, the people were not outright refusing to build the temple. Did you notice this? They, they weren't saying, no, we won't build, but rather they were saying, it's not time. It's just not time to rebuild the temple at this point. And certainly the Israelites would have had seemingly good reasons for their, for their delay. Perhaps they felt the weight of political oppression. Perhaps the economic strain that was on their fledgling little nation. Perhaps it was even military pressure by the enemies around them. But 15 years had passed and they had not done what God had called them to do. So Haggai cuts through the excuses and asks that penetrating question. Did you hear that question? Let me read it again. Verse number four. Is it a time for you to live in paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Ouch. Zing. Burn. I mean, Haggai just cuts through the fat and he's like, oh yeah? It's not time? It's not time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt? Your house looks awfully nice. You've invested a lot of energy and effort in rebuilding your lives and you have been unconcerned about what I have called you to do and worshiping me. Here's the idea. We can dishonor God without denying him, friends. The Israelites were orthodox. They talked a spiritual game, but they did not own their brokenness. Here's what I mean by that. They did not acknowledge that they were living in disobedience and they had deceived themselves into believing that they were okay. They were disobeying God, but they didn't realize or they didn't admit or acknowledge that they were disobeying God. Is it really time for that? But should we be surprised for that by that? Who of us have not delayed obedience to the Lord with godly sounding language? I, I just don't have peace about that. Listen, if God's word says it, you don't need to have peace about it. You just need to do it. If the Lord speaks, remember the old, old commercials, E.F. Hutton speaks and people what? When God speaks, we are supposed to listen. I don't care if you're, it's your season or not. When God speaks, we listen. How many of us have ever been exuberantly worshiping the Lord on Sunday? Oh, we got our hands up. We give the Lord our hand clap of praise. And then we ignore him Monday through Saturday. How many of us have not, like the Israelites, justified our greed by looking at others around us? They're living in these panels' houses, right? They're taking care of their own. And then we say something like, well, at least I'm not like these dirty Joneses over here, right? Everybody trying to keep up with those Joneses. 
And we justify our disobedience, our greed, our covetousness. And we're like, I'm okay. I'm okay because I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Look, self-deception comes as easily to our hearts as breathing does to our lungs. Jeremiah says it this way. The heart is, what's it say, folks? Deceitful. The heart is deceitful and it is very easy for us to deceive ourselves into believing that we are honoring God because we don't deny him. Oh, I'm a God worshiper. I'm a church member. I even lead my community group. I serve in the community. It is very possible to disobey, to dishonor God while not denying him. But look, take note of something else here. I want you to notice to whom Haggai speaks. Look at verse number one. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Notice these two names here. To Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So who is Haggai addressing? Two dudes, their names are Zerubbabel and Joshua. And here's the thing. When you read the Old Testament, when you read the other sections of the Old Testament, even when you read further on in Haggai, Zerubbabel and Joshua are good dudes. They are godly people. In some ways, when you read the story of of the return, Joshua and Zerubbabel are downright heroic. So what does this teach us? Authentically godly people can be broken. That's what it teaches us. I do not think that Zerubbabel or Joshua set out to disobey the Lord. I do not think they were shaking their fist at God's decrees. But the truth was, they were living in disobedience to God. These good people. These God-fearing people had an area in their life that was off limits to God, even though they were good people. Ooh, does that start to strike home, right? You can be good. You can be godly. You can be mature and disobedient, friends. There is a danger for us to roll into complacency in our lives in certain areas. Maybe they were overwhelmed by their circumstances. Maybe they'd just grown apathetic. Maybe they weren't aware of what was happening. I don't know. I don't know. But the truth remained. They had drifted from the Lord. Listen. Godly people can be broken people. I mean, we're blessed at Gospel Hope Church to have a bunch of godly people. Now, I'm sure we have a scoundrel in our midst. I don't know who you are. Rod and I just love all you. We're like, man, our members, they love Jesus. They know the gospel. They want to serve. They want to grow. They care for one another. We have a bunch of godly people at our church, and I'm really, really thankful for that. Amen? But that don't mean that you are not disobeying the Lord in some areas in your life. If Joshua, the high priest... If Zerubbabel, the governor, the leader of God's people who had seen with faith, with eyes of faith to take the people back to their homeland. If these heroic godly people had a glaring area of blind spot in their life, are we beyond that? No. Friends, are there areas of disobedience that you have begun to tolerate in your life? Have there been times in your past? Ooh, listen to this one. Have there been times in your past when you have been closer to the Lord than you are now? This shouldn't be the case, right? Because the Christian life should be this kind of upward and to the right graph, right? Where we're growing in our walk with the Lord. So if, if you are now not as close to the Lord as you once were, then that's the, the old churchy term is what? You, you backsliding. You've drifted. And according to the scriptures, no, we should be continually growing, not in perfection, 
but growing in maturity and our obedience to the Lord. Have you allowed difficult circumstances to bring coldness into your relationship with God? Life is hard, you get cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, I pray, yeah, I read my Bible, yeah, I go to church, but man, there is nothing going on in here whatsoever. Have you rested on your laurels because you've reached a certain point in your Christian maturity? Woo! I've done my time. I've paid my dues. I've done what I need to do. I'm at church, aren't I? Put my money in the offering plate, don't I? Oh, that growing, is that for those young folks? And who's young folks? Anybody younger than me, right? Anybody younger than me? No. There is not a time for us to rest on our laurels. I think Haggai's word for us, for us today, is simply this. Acknowledge your brokenness. If you see some areas of disobedience, if you see some areas of drift in your life, I think Haggai is simply saying this. Own it. Name it. Confess it. God's not tricked by it after all. We need to own our brokenness. Although this might sound straightforward enough, it's far from easy. Don't we know it? There seems to be, as I was reflecting on this, there seems to be an intuitive tendency in human beings to deny rather than acknowledge our brokenness. Do you feel that in your heart? Like, we are quick to deny that there is something wrong with us and not fast to acknowledge it. We are often quick to do all that we can to distract and deflect others from the knowledge that our hearts are broken. I believe this was happening in Haggai's day. The people were not necessarily defiant. They were more distracted. Is it a time for you to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? They weren't saying, Lord, we won't do what you want. They just had their other projects going. We're pretty busy right now, God. We got other stuff going on in our lives. We don't really have time to focus on what you have called us to do. The people of God had let lesser priorities keep them from their greatest priority. It is not that the paneled houses were wrong. But the paneled houses became wrong when they were put before the Lord. Sound familiar? Is it wrong to build wealth? Yes or no? No. But it becomes wrong when that wealth is built at the expense of being generous. Is it wrong to spend time with family or friends? Yes or no? No. Until we neglect making disciples as a result of that. Is it wrong for your kids to be involved in extracurricular activities? Yes or no? No. Not unless by doing so we send the message to our children that church and service are lesser priorities in our lives. Look, the good is often the enemy of the best. Man, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, it's probably not the evil that is the enemy of the best in your life. It's just the good that you allowed to crowd out the best in your life. But God loved his people far too much to leave them in their state of distraction. Look again at verse number five. Now the Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to become drunk. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earners puts his wages in a bag with a hole in it. Then he continues, verse 11. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills and on the grain and the new wine and olive oil and whatever the ground wields on man and beast and all that your hands produce. In other words, the Lord tells his people that the reason that their lives are not going according to their plan is because he is disciplining them for their disobedience to him. Or to put it in the words of the great theologian, Dr. Phil, God is essentially saying, how's that working for you? If you've trusted in Jesus, God is your father. And he's a good one. Which means he won't let you just do whatever you want if that is not in your best interest. 
Hebrews chapter 12 says this this way. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. Now listen to this. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. The principle is this. The Lord loves his people too much to allow them to be satisfied by lesser gods. He loves you too much for that. And suppose after church, uh, Felicity, my four-year-old, was running towards the parking lot where cars were coming. And you're standing there beside me and you, and you say kind of urgently, do you see Felicity? And I look at you and I say, yes. And you say, aren't you going to stop her? To which I said, no. If I told her she was doing something wrong, that would make her uncomfortable. You would say, you're a terrible parent. Why? Because my role as a parent is not simply to protect them from discomfort, but to do what is best for them. And what is best in that situation is to say what? Stop! Urgently, loudly. I might embarrass her in front of her friends. But that's okay. Why? Because I want what's best for you. For her, that is. And God wants what's best for you. And sometimes the reason that things don't go the way we want them to is because God is saying, hey, we're taking a little trip out to the woodshed, unfortunately. My child, I love you too much to just let you go your own way. God is more concerned about your holiness than he is about your comfort. He is committed to your best. So what is the Lord doing in your life? I don't know. I can't discern what God is doing in your life. But really, ask yourself these questions. Is there a tough relationship that is forcing you to depend on God? And you're saying, get me out of this. And God is saying, uh-uh, nope. Nope, this is for your good. That's why I have you here. That's why you need to work through this. Is there a circumstance in your life that is revealing something about your heart that you don't like to see very much? Lord, when are you going to make this go away? He says, when you learn your lesson. When you see what you need to see in the midst of this situation. When you draw near to me rather than running away from me. Are you experiencing conviction in your life? Is there an area that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, he is convicting you, he is challenging you about, you're trying to ignore, you're trying to sweep it under a rug, you're trying to make it go away, but it's just this nag in the back of your head. I need to change, I need to obey. God, stop it. And he's like, uh-uh. I'm your father, and I love you too much to let you chase after lesser gods. You must not be satisfied with them. You must be satisfied with me alone. I think we would all do well to heed Haggai's word and think carefully about our ways. Remember the first step of moving from brokenness to beauty is to first of all to acknowledge that we are broken. Just own it. I mean, what is the Lord? As I'm talking in these moments, I'm not trying to get mystical or magical right now. I'm just saying, like, what is the Lord revealing to you right now as we're walking through this passage of Scripture? Where is the brokenness? Is it some way that you failed? Is it a circumstance? Is it a thought process? Is it a habit? Is it a relationship? Where is the brokenness? Own it. You'll never grow if you don't acknowledge the brokenness first of all. The surgeon must cut before he can heal. And if he's cutting you right now, thank him for it. Because he's about to bring a balm. And it is sweet. But you cannot receive that balm if you first won't acknowledge that you're sick. What did Jesus say? I didn't come for those who need no physician. I came for those who needed a doctor desperately. Here I am. Here I am to heal those who know that they are broken. So number two, accept the beauty. Yes, acknowledge the brokenness, but then Haggai continues and gives us this great beam of hope. Accept the beauty. 
Though acknowledging our brokenness is critical, listen, it's not sufficient if we're to move down this pathway. We also need to receive the beauty that God graciously offers. We see this principle played out in Haggai chapter 1. Embedded, like right in the middle of the rebuke. Haggai holds out this promise. Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts says this. Think carefully about your ways. Verse 8. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house. And then what? I will be pleased with it and be glorified. That is, this is amazing news. How long had these people not done anything? Do you remember? 15 years. So they're disobeying for 15 years. I mean, that is a long time. 15 years of disobedience. And God says simply this. Listen, you can turn it around. Just do what I said. Just repent. Turn away from your disobedience and repent. And I will actually be pleased with you. I will be glorified by what you do. Some of you are thinking, it's too late for me, pastor. I've blown it too badly. My marriage is a wreck. I've destroyed relationships. My career is in shambles. Lord, it is too late for me. Haggai says, huh uh God will give you grace today if you will just come to him. Bring the wood. Bring the lumber. Repent and I will be glorified through your servants. Listen to this word very carefully. There is no expiration date on God's grace. There's no carton of God's grace in your fridge that is soured. It does not exist, friends. God's grace is inexhaustible. As long as there is breath in your lungs, as long as you are not dead, God is extending his grace to all who would put their hope in him. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen, how long you've drifted, if you are hearing this word this morning, then the Lord is saying simply this, you can return to me. He is not in this posture. He is in this posture. Come, come, come to me. Bring me your brokenness. Repent, turn. I will receive you. I want you. Come to me. I don't care how deep it is. I don't care how embarrassed you are. Come to me. I will receive you. And look at what happens in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of the prophet Haggai. And then God, in his kindness, in his sweet mercy, spoke this beautiful pronouncement over his people. Verse 13, Haggai, the Lord's message, messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. Here's what God says. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. Broken person, wayward child, I am with you. You, I am on your side. If you come to me in brokenness, if you come to me in repentance, if you turn from your sin, if you own your brokenness, God is for you. So in spite of your failure to fulfill God's mission, in spite of their apathy towards the Lord, in spite of their self-indulgence, in spite of the years of disobedience, God says to them, I am for you. And these are words that some of you need to desperately hear today. If you repent, if you turn to Jesus, no matter what the backstory is, God is for you. God is for you. That is really hard for some of us to own. It's really hard for some of us to accept this grace. You know why? Because it's so free. It doesn't seem to cost anything. You're kind of saying, you mean, like I've sinned against the Lord like 10 billion times. And if I just come clean, if I just come to him with my mess, with my story and say, God, this is wrong and sinful, he will give me grace because of Jesus. What are you selling? This sounds like a pipe dream, man. You also got a used car in the back you want to give me? 
you know, that's very natural for us. I, I think many of us have adopted what I would call an Imagine Dragons theology. Um, you know the song Demons from a few years ago? So Imagine Dragons song is wildly popular, and it goes like this. They say, don't get too close. It's dark inside. It's where my demons hide. It's where my demons hide. I think that's the mantra of our culture. Hey, don't look too closely. Don't get too close to me. Because if you did get too close to me, you'd see who I really am and you would, the, the, the idea is, and you would reject me. Right? If you get too close and see my heart and see what I'm really like, you would reject me. If you saw what I really am, all would be lost. But as is usually, or I should say always the case, Scripture speaks a better word. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. God made the one who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So on the cross, on the cross, Jesus took all of our brokenness. I mean, imagine that right now. That thing that you're thinking about, those ideas, those thoughts, those actions, those deeds, that brokenness. Think about Jesus hanging on the cross and he says, give me that. All of it. And he stretches out his arms and God wrecks him. God pours out his wrath on Jesus for your mess. And that's just half the story. Because when we trust in that sacrifice, Jesus doesn't just take our brokenness. We get his righteousness. So God says, up from heaven, he looks down at Travis Sinful Walker. Not really his middle name. And says, Travis, because you have trusted in me, on the cross, I look at all your brokenness on Jesus and I choose to turn and look at you as if you were Jesus himself. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the profundity of that work? It is beyond our wildest imagination. It is too good to be true, but it is true. The sinless son of God became our sacrifice. He took all of our brokenness to make us beautiful. Jesus did get too close. Jesus did look inside. And the demons couldn't hide. They fled. Brothers and sisters, Christ looks at you in all of your messiness, in all of your brokenness, and he says, I want you anyway. And I have made atonement for that mess. It does seem hard for us to receive at times that Christ would extend grace today. Perhaps it's tough for you to just to take that. Let me give you an analogy, maybe it would help. Let's suppose um, one of my kids, let's say Sayla, she's seven, uh, was in my office and playing around and, and she broke something that was precious to me. Say so she's playing in my office and she breaks a picture from Trish and I's wedding and the frame gets shattered. So she brings me that shattered picture frame and she says, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I, I broke your frame. Will you forgive me? And sure, I'd be disappointed. Sure, I'd be sad. But what would I say? I'd say, uh, of course, sweetie. Yeah, I'm, it's okay. It's okay. Daddy forgives you. Let's take that and we put that in the trash. So in the trash it goes. So the next day, Sayla shows up again and she's got that picture frame. She went down in the trash and dug it back out. And she brings it to me and she says, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I broke your picture frame. Now, at this point, day two, I might be like, oh, that's cute. You know, it's just a seven-year-old being cute. Oh, of course, I forgive you. Honey, let's go put it back in the trash. So back it goes. 
Third day, she comes, picture frame in hand. Daddy, I, I broke your picture frame. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? At this point, I'm like, kind of like, okay, honey, let's a little more forceful. Okay, daddy forgives you. It, it's okay. We already talked about this. Daddy forgives you. Let's, let's stop getting it out of the trash. Put it back in there. Day four, she comes. She brings me that broken picture frame. Daddy, I'm so sorry I broke it. Let me stop you right there, honey. Daddy said that I forgive you. You need to believe daddy's word right now. Some of you are digging in the trash and keep bringing it back to God. Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. And he says, did you look at the cross? That's the word that I've spoken over your sin. Look to the cross. It is dealt with. Stop digging it out of the trash and begin to live in the grace and freedom that I have for you. I have forgiven you. And that's why I say simply this, accept the beauty. It sounds too good to be true, but it's true. It's the most wonderful news in the world because it's real. So if you've blown it in your marriage, stop digging it out of the trash and get moving forward. If you failed as a parent, Stop digging it out of the trash and move forward. Yes, confess it. Yes, own it. Whatever the failure is, whatever the brokenness is, if you have been hurt in the past, yes, acknowledge it. Yes, own whatever role you played in it. But then trust that the Lord speaks a better word over you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. God has made a way for broken people to become beautiful. It's not self-reform. It's not trying harder. It's not getting religious. It comes only by faith receiving the gift promised to those who hope in Jesus. Listen to this statement. Faith is the channel through which grace freely flows. You want to receive grace in your brokenness? You want to become beautiful? Believe what God has said. Believe that on the cross, Jesus dealt with all of our brokenness so that we can become beautiful in him. Jesus took our brokenness to make us beautiful. My simple question is this. Do you have the audacity to believe something that good is true? Are you bold enough to take hold of what God's word says and receive and accept the brokenness? So you might say, all right, Pastor Ryan, I'm with you. I'm with you. Where does that leave us? How do we move forward in this? Well, let me close with simply two suggestions in terms of how you can practically apply this. The first thing is this, be specific. I think one of the greatest ways that we experience the grace of God in our life, the greatest ways that we move from brokenness to beauty is by specifically confessing our brokenness. Name your areas of struggle. Don't leave them abstract and general. I believe with full confidence based on the word of God that a vague confession of sin will lead to a vague appreciation of grace. If there are real hurts in your life, if there are real temptations and failures and neediness and suffering, confess them by name to the Lord. Lord, I am tempted to be angry when my boss speaks to me that way. Father, I am in despair because I blew it again. Lord, I have a hard time trusting you. I'm afraid, God, when my life circumstances go the way they're going. Just name it. Spurgeon said, call not foul sins fair names. Call them what they will and I think you will begin to receive the grace and experience the change that you need to change. When we do this, we begin to appreciate and apply the grace of God so much more directly in our life. It's not just like Jesus loves me kind of out there. 
but it's like he loves me in spite of my stupid angry heart he loves me in spite of the fact that I'm a coward he loves me in spite of the fact that I fail him my character is just weak and he loves me I love the words of the old hymn how firm a foundation when through the deep waters I call thee to go this is God speaking the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow for I will be with thee thy troubles distract to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress in other words that brokenness becomes precious to you because it's the brokenness that led you to your need for Christ man when I was in college uh, I was, a, I was a basketball player and I, I broke this little tiny bone in my ankle and because of it I had to wear this like boot for months and it, it, it essentially ended my basketball career and when it first happened I was mad and I was sad but you know what today I stand here before you this is not this is not me trying to sound spiritual but I bless God for that little broken bone because through that distress God drove me to himself find my sufficiency my hope and my help in him if you will name your brokenness you will begin to experience the grace of God in that area of life that's the first thing be specific second thing is this be strategic Another way to learn to receive the grace of God is by strategically sharing this message with others. Is there unbrokenness? Is there brokenness in our world? I mean, you don't have to look anywhere to find it, right? Injustice, fatherlessness, the refugee crisis, abortion, human trafficking, racism, divorce, death, disease, poverty, crime, and so on and so forth. The list goes on and on and on. But if you have trusted in Jesus, then you have seen brokenness become beautiful. Have you not? Isn't that all of our story? I was broken, but I, through the work of Jesus, became beautiful through him. He rescued me from my brokenness and made me beautiful in the sight of God. Literally, we have the best message in the world the best message in the world are there broken people in your life yes or no do they long to get out of that brokenness do they long to be restored to god's line and receive the god's design and receive the beauty for which they were created yes then let's open our mouths and tell them our story i was far from god my life was a mess i tried to call the shots and i made it worse but through the work of Jesus who lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died and rose victoriously for all who would ever trust in him he laid down his life on the cross and in that moment took all of my mess on himself my fear my anger my bitterness my faithless unbelief he took it and God made Jesus sin for me so that in Jesus, I might become the righteousness of God. And now God does not look at Ryan McCammick and say, what a broken mess. He says, you are beautiful. You are beautiful because of what my son has done on your behalf. And though you fail and fail and fail and fail, if you've trusted in Jesus, Christ looks at you today and he says, that's a work of art. That's beauty. And yes, we're broken people living in a broken world, but there is a pathway to beauty that Christ laid down his life to purchase for us. Stop digging that brokenness out of the trash and dare to believe that that is true. I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. I am with you. If you will but turn to my son and trust in him. Let's pray together. As the prayer team comes, I just want to encourage you this morning to name your brokenness. 
I don't know what your struggle is, your temptation is. I don't know what your failure is, but I pray right now that you would just talk to the Lord. So let's just quietly talk to God right now. Everybody quietly talk to God and own your brokenness. You can't shock God. Tell him. Now I want you to shift your focus right now as you continue to talk to the Lord. Receive the grace that he's provided in Christ. Preach the gospel to yourself right now. Was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. And it's your sin that was satisfied by Jesus on the cross. It was your brokenness that Jesus took. It wasn't just this abstract idea. Receive the grace that Christ says. You are who he says you are. Forgiveness is available. Cleansing is there. Talk to the Lord about that right now. Father, help us to receive the grace that you have provided in Christ. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.